up, Craig? Okay, for the first time this time. All right. Uh, hello. Welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corwin Heller. And uh, we forgot to acknowledge a milestone of the show um, on Thursday's episode. Um, so as some of you may have noticed, we did not at the time. Uh, this is going to be episode 201, which means that episode 200 was our last episode, and we did not mention it. Is there any chance that our first episode was like uh, a gimme, like a trailer episode or anything? I believe, that... I believe it was, yeah. So this could technically be our 200th real episode? Y- y- yes. It's So it's funky because it's our 200th. This episode 201 is like our 200th actual episode, but it's our 200 second overall episode because there's the um, intro episode that's marked as episode one, and we have an unmarked like half episode, I think, after the 2019 World Series. <laughs> so uh, we really, there's no real definite way for us to, uh, to make this. I think it's just out of sheer convenience, and that's okay. What are we listening to? Corwin? Sorry, I sat on my remote and turned my TV on. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what my solution was. I muted the volume on my laptop to try and mute my voice. and was like, that's not how that works. <laughs> just because I can't hear me doesn't mean you can't hear me. Oh, buddy. Oh, our it's amazing how we've done no 202 and a half episodes now, and we are still, we, I am still so unprofessional. Yeah, we, we, we have not improved our professionalism in the slightest. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus. I am so sorry. So uh, we're going to shout out a couple of our most popular episodes um, over the last 200 episodes just to see what the fuck you people listen to. Um, yeah, for real. Our most popular episode is apparently episode 92, um, entitled Counting Your Chickens, Quantifying the Astros Cheating. Um, <laughs> so I take it that y'all motherfuckers, just like us, really don't like the Astros. Yeah, for real. It's, uh, it's really not something that... Uh... You would think people would rally. Oh wait, no. Yes, it is because everyone fucking hates those cheaters. Yeah, that's it. It's been, it was such, especially at the time, it was such a rallying cry for everybody in baseball who did not like the Astros, and even some Astros fans who didn't like the Astros. So I guess that makes sense. It was a very timely episode in 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 mm-hmm. sports discourse. Uh, our second most popular episode is our 2019. Thanksgiving episode? Why? I don't know. (laughs) Why? It's episode 94, so maybe people tuned in for the Astros episode and then was like, let's see what else these guys talk about. And then they found this and were like, oh no. Um so how did our uh, how did our 2020 uh Thanksgiving episode do in comparison? Do you know? I mean that one like just came out. Uh, I mean, just, you think people keep us on a, a backlog and then binge us? Um, let's let's see. 
uh, it it has a, it has about a third of the downloads as the other one right now. <laughs> so I guess Which, you to guys... be fair, you know, a third of your most popular video is still fairly good, but yeah, you know, I bet people heard our Thanksgiving and was like, oh, these fucking guys, they don't know shit. We're not listening to their Thanksgiving episode this year. Well, hey, that's why we mixed it up and made it the Black Friday episode. But still, oh, we see that's how we fucked ourselves. How we fucked out. Yeah, no, that made sense. Yeah, it did. It I did, did. I did right for once. Nice. Yeah. Uh, third most popular episode. I love these titles I came up with back in, back then. Um, it was episode sixty-seven, Texas S and M preseason college football rankings, which we haven't talked about college football like at all this year because I think <laughs> at first, um, I why. you weren't sure what was going to happen, so we decided not to, and then Penn State started playing, and you didn't want to talk about it. So, uh, so like. I don't know if it made it into any of the episodes, but to all the listeners, uh, before every Sunday episode, Josh would be like, hey, do you want to talk about Penn State? And I was like, I would rather die. And he was like, okay, I get that. Let's not. <laughs> and, uh, well, we won yesterday, so I guess we could oh, talk. you, you did? Who, who'd you guys beat? Rockers. Who was, who? Rockers. Oh, is that <laughs> even a win? Uh, yes, because they had more wins than us going into the game, and we were the underdogs. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, no yeah, fucking Penn way. State football Twitter was basically, like, old reliable ruckers helping us get back on track. Jesus Christ, that is sad. Yes, yes, it is. Wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, fourth most popular episode. Episode one fourteen. The Red Sox move on from Mookie. Um, another very of the time. Ridiculously stupid. I believe made for Mookie or offered to Mookie, and Mookie signed. Um. And it therefore was also before or um <laughs> Dodgers With stats, shutdown of the MLB to a 60-game season. So the fact that that is a largely listened to episode is kind of hilarious considering it is by far one of the least impactful episodes we have done, which says something about about how not... impactful that episode People are wrong. So, you know... People can listen to these awful or these great episodes and think they're awful or listen to awful episodes that are phenomenal. Yeah, and I would like to take this opportunity to shout out what is still one of uh, my favorite episodes that we have done that I encourage everybody as we mark this tremendous occasion, <laughs> episode 201 slash 200 slash 202. 
Um, then everybody go back and listen to episode 107, Golden Toilet, MLB <laughs> Arbitration, where we talked about Mike Trout wiping his ass with money. <laughs> that is truly the best episode. What number is that? I want to write that down. 107. 107. That is one of my favorite episodes that we did, especially since we did all of that math on the fly. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is still far and away my favorite episode we've ever done. And it, yeah. it, like, I don't know if anything else comes close. Oh my God. That was so much fun. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's funny cause Corwin and I were talking right before we got on to, uh, or right before we invited in our robot who does our bidding, um, to start the show about how it's been a weird past few months because for the stats episode, because I, I don't think either of us have been feeling overtly inspired with sports stats since sports has returned just because of everything else going on. So it is kind of nice taking this little trip down memory lane from pre-COVID times to look at what we had talked about previously that isn't... Because even when we, cause when we do the sports news, we end up talking about which team's fucking up with COVID too. And, you know, talking about sports stats, it's like, you know, I don't know. With baseball, there was a bunch of caveats and <laughs> football... It, you can make a lot of caveats too with with all the wacky shit that's going on. So it's it's nice looking back at the goofy dumb shit we did, like talking about Mike Trout wiping his ass with hundreds, <laughs> and realizing how fucking poor we are. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. oh it's just so unbelievably it's just like I just hate this. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. it, but I hate this. Oh, you know it. Um, <laughs> so I thought for for some 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 time today, we could talk about um, baseball's most impactful plays. Okay. Uh, so, um, what would that entail? So, uh, Baseball Reference or its larger parent body stat head. Um, I think, or it's really the sports reference universe, but the stat head arm of pro base, a baseball reference. Sean, Sean Foreman, give us money. Um, uh, has has a searchable index that will show you what plays specifically had the most win probability added um, of all plays in baseball history, and we can do this by championship win probability added, championship. Leverage index, regular win probability added, regular leverage index, um, most recent event and earliest event, which uh, well, I might have to poke at those just for just for fun later on. Um, so I figured we could start with the non-championship ones and then work our way up. Uh, um, there's only one that instantly came to mind, but I guess I will save it for when we get to the championship ones. I am very. Do you want to start with the championship ones then? Okay. Yeah, let's just let's just start there. Let's start with all right. Let's start with with, with championship. Before, before we yeah. go down like the list, I just I want to ask, where is Bill Buckner's between the legs ball? Oh, okay. So who hit that ball? Uh, so it was the nineteen eighty six World Series, Mets, Red Sox. Um. So do I see eighty uh, six? Mookie Wilson. That's right. It was Mookie Wilson. So I don't see Mookie it. Betts. I don't see it in the top 40. Oh, my God. 
I guess it wasn't a game right. seven, so it I wouldn't found it. be okay. Okay, I okay. It. It, it's fifty second on the list. Mm. Probably Ricky wouldn't Wilson. have found that without bringing it up. No, I'll, well, although what's interesting is that the oh, I'll get. I'll, let me finish this. <laughs> so yeah, Mookie Wilson's. Uh, they called a single. They called it a wild pitch. Wait, that scored was a wild pitch. I'll write back to the article to figure this shit out. <laughs> but it went through his legs. It'd be an error if anything else. They... It is It is an error. This, the article lists it as an error. Baseball Reference has it as a wild pitch. Are you sure that's the right pitch? That's Dude, I'm, right looking, I'm looking at it. <laughs> it says wild pitch. Moogie Wilson's, yeah, wild pitch. Mitchell scores night to second. Wait, what? to accept that as reality. This, I do not understand. Um, what? By the way, when, when that, had, right before that had happened, um, the, what I guess we're calling the wild pitch, um, right before that, uh, Ray Knight got on base via a single and right before that was when we were in the bottom of the 10th Red Sox leading 5 to 3 two outs and red the Red Sox win expectancy was 96% Ray Knight hits his single and it's still high as shit it's still at 92% win expectancy and then Mookie Wilson comes up and the Mets Ah, I see what happens. So I need to read further with this. Then then the Mets get up, they they tie the game five five, win expectancy drops and then yeah. So let's let's actually look at the the write up here. All right. So the so the inning starts. Mets behind three five. I feel like a bad baseball fan for not having this like in my memory. Um This was so, like ten years before I was born. So I'm not guilty at all for not knowing this by memory. I mean, I wasn't born yet either, but I feel like this is one of those like baseball lore, like you should know this kind of thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So so Calvin Schiraldi is pitching for the Red Sox. That sounds like a guy who pitched for the Red Sox. Wally <laughs> Backman comes up for the Mets. He hits a fly ball into left field for out number one. Um, he uh, On an 0-2 pitch. Keith Hernandez comes up. Uh, he hits a fly ball into center field. On a two-one pitch for out number two, um, then uh, Gary Carter comes up. He hits a single into left field uh, on a two-one pitch. So we got a man on. Then Kevin Mitchell comes up, pinch hitting for the pitcher Rick Aguilera. Aguilera, Ag- no Aguilera. I was right. Um, he hits a single line drive to short center field on a on an one pitch. Gary Carter goes to second, so we've got first and second, two outs. Then Ray Knight comes up. Um, he hits a single to center field on a line drive on an 0-2 pitch. Gary Carter scores. Mitchell goes to third, so we've got first and third, two outs, one in. So Mookie Wilson comes up. The game is now tied 4-5. to five. It says wild pitch. It says... Oh, oh, I see. That's right. Oh, that's right. All right. I, I got everything out of order. That's why I'm, I'm fucking it up. Because Ray Knight scored. Sorry, um, 
not Ray Knight, Kevin Mitchell scored on the wild pitch from uh, from third. Then Mookie, well, Mookie Wilson hits the dribbler up to um, Bill Buckner. And then um, Ray Knight comes around to score during the error. And that's how mm. the Red Sox walk it off, 6-5. to five. Yeah, there, there you we go. go. Use that. Oh, man. I was afraid. And I'm uh, now I feel... I feel bad that my mistakes are now out there forever. Good. Thanks. Good. Yeah, I appreciate it, you fucking asshole. Um, what else? What it's else? The nicest thing you've ever said to me. Yeah, well, it's, it's all you deserve. <laughs> A- any other? There is one exceedingly um, recent event here in our in our top five of uh, the highest championship win probability okay. added plays in baseball history. Howie Kendrick home run. Oh, that's a great one, and you you are kind of right. It is thirteenth, okay, which again, cool, considering cool. how many games there are in baseball championship history, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's impressive, right? It's like it's that ten- is very cool. Yeah. That that Howie Kendrick World Series home run off of Will Harris in Game Seven uh, had a thirty two point nine percent championship win probability added. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, number one, which took place in the 1960 World Series when the uh, Pirates beat the Yankees, it, their, the highest championship win probability play of that series and of all time was the Hal Smith home run off of Jim Coates um, as the Pirates were down 7-6 to six in the bottom of the eighth. Its championship win probability added was 63.5262%. Jesus. I don't I don't know if I know the play. So so here here's the setup. So this was in game 7. So in game 1 of the World Series, uh the Pirates took game 1 6 to 4. Yankees came back in the second one when it's 16 to 3. Game 3 the Yankees continued their route, winning ten to nothing. So the Yankees are up in the series two to one. Then in Game Four, Pirates came back, won three to two. So series is all knotted up at two. Pirates won Game Five, five to two. Yankees came back and stormed Game Six, twelve to nothing. So we're in Game Seven. Uh. You know, all tied up at three. Yankees have won really big games. Pirates have been squeaking out their wins. And as it stands right now, in the first inning of the World Series, Yankees didn't score any runs. Pirates got two. Second inning, same story. Yankees nothing. Pirates two more runs to go up four to nothing. A scoreless third and fourth for both teams. Then in the fifth inning, the Yankees score one run. So now they're only down one to four. And then in the sixth inning, the Yankees scored four runs, which went unanswered to take the lead 5-4. to four. Neither team scored in the 7th. In the top of the 8th, the Yankees scored two more runs to bring their lead to 7-4. to four. And now let's get into the play. So we are in the bottom of the 8th. Here we go. Uh, it's Bobby Shantz against Gino Kamali. <laughs> uh, so, who is pinch hitting for Roy what? Face. His name was Roy Face? Hold on. So there was a Japanese baseball video game that came out back in, like, the 90s. And they needed to, like, 
populate all of the like players with you know names for um you know they 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 didn't have the rights to use actual player names so they just had to come up with american sounding names and they just used a a a formula to do it and oh my god all of those names sound like it was just computer generated out of nowhere yeah um roy face is a man was a man uh also pretty decent pitcher i i'm looking at his stats not awful or sorry, not 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 great, but not terrible. I mean, there was one year he went eighteen and one. Um, he he pitched in sixty eight games twice. Uh, as that's got to be as a reliever. Yeah, it's as a reliever. So he was a reliever, but pretty good reliever. Three All Star games. Um, three top twenty MVP finishes. Mm. Wow, that's certainly interesting. Lifetime ERA of three point four eight. Um, which is fine. A lifetime FIP of 3.38, so he very much so played to his FIP. Career ERA plus of 109. Yeah, way to go, Roy Face. You played 16 years in the MLB, and that's really hard to do. <laughs> um, anyway, so Gino Kamali is pinch hitting for Roy Face against Bobby Chance. God, I love these names. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, on a 2-2 count, Gino singles to right field so we got a man on then bill verdon comes in also against bobby Shantz on an 0-1 pitch he singles to to shortstop kamali goes to second so we got man on first and second still no outs then joe demaistri replaces tony kubek playing second sorry playing shortstop and batting second dick grote oh my god who are these people Dick Grote against Bobby Shantz <laughs> um, comes up on a 1-1 pitch. He singles to left field. Uh, Gino Kamali scores. Bill Verdon goes to second. So we got a run in. The game is now 5-7, to seven, still in favor of the Yankees, but there's nobody out. Jim Coates then comes in to replace Bobby Shantz, pitching and batting ninth. Bob Skinner comes up first against Jim Coates on an on a, uh, the first pitch of the at-bat, he bunts a ground out, sacrifice, Verdon goes to third, Dick Grote goes to second. <laughs> I'm sorry. Could you uh, could you repeat that for me uh, for the class, Josh? Uh, Dick Grote? Dick Grote. Dick spelled like the body part, and then Grote, G-O-R-A-T. Um, what a terrible name. Also, <laughs> Dick, Dick Grote. Um, batting title holder, eight-time All-Star, two-time World Series winner, and an MVP winner. Oh my God! Wait, Dick. Wait, Dick Grote has an MVP and is an eight-time All-Star and has a career eighty-nine OPS plus. What? All right, I have, I'm going to read you real quick as as an aside. Dick Grote's MVP season. It was 1960. It was this year. Uh, 138 games, 629 plate appearances. 85 runs, 186 hits, 26 doubles, three, four triples, two home runs, 50 RBIs, zero stolen bases, two caught stealings, 39 walks, 35 strikeouts. Uh, he led the entire uh, entirety of baseball in batting average with a 325 batting average, but with the low walks, he had a 371 on base percentage, which is still good, just not that much of a higher tick over his um, 
batting average comparatively, a 394 slugging. So he had a 300, 300, 300 line, which is hilarious. Um, so that's a 766 OPS, a 110 OPS plus. Pretty deep, pretty decent. I had to think about what word I was even trying to say there. I just want to know who he beat in MVP voting that year. Mike Trout. Here, here's the top five just for the names um, in MVP voting this year. Dick Grote beat out fellow Pittsburgh teammate Don Hoke. So number one and number two was Dick Grote and Don Hoke. Bullshit. Uh, third These place was Japanese video game created names. <laughs> third place was nine point five War Season Willie Mays. What? Fourth place was 7.9 war season Ernie Banks. And then fifth place was some guy named, named Lindy McDaniel, um, who I'm going to make fun of, but I'm sure is also in the Hall of Fame uh, for some unknown reason. Oh, no, he's not. 28.2 career war, though, is pretty good. Yeah, so Dick Grote had, god damn it, every time I say it, um, had a 6.1 war season in 1960. Don Hoke, who finished second, 5.4 war season. Willie Mays, 9.5, Ernie Banks, 7.9. I can only assume they didn't win MVP because of racism. Wait, Roy Face finished 12th in MVP voting this year? What is this season? I, I don't have answers for you, man. Also, holy shit, shout out to the 1960 Pittsburgh Pirates team for having one, two, three, four, five, six players finish in the top 20 in MVP voting this year. Dick Grote, Don Hoke, Vern Law, Roberto Clemente, Roy Face, and Smokey Burgess all finished top 20 in MVP voting in 1960. That's wild. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, how those Pirates teams are long gone. And this, but this is what Corwin and I mean. We talk about how Pittsburgh is historically a baseball town, and it's just a current ownership that doesn't give a fuck. Anyway, so Bob Skinner going up against Jim Coates. He bunted. Now we have men on second and third. Still just one out on the sack bunt. Rocky Nelson comes up, hits a fly ball to right field, but not far enough that anybody scores. So now we have men on second and third, two outs. Roberto Clemente comes up. Ah, boy. And he, on a 1-2 pitch, hits a single to first base, ground ball weekly, but still a single. Verdon scores. Dick Grote goes to third. We've got men on first and third. Two outs. At this point, with the additional run scoring, the Pirates are down only 6-7. to seven. This is when Hal Smith comes up for the reason we are reading all of these plays, to hit what is the most impactful home run or bad ball or play of any kind in postseason baseball history on a 2-2 pitch. Hal Smith hits a home run fly ball to deep left field off of Jim Coates. Uh, Dick Grote scores, Roberto Clemente scores, Hal Smith scores, and the Pittsburgh Pirates go up 9-7. to Ralph Terry then replaces Jim Coates as the pitcher. Ralph Terry gets Don Hoke to, to fly out, ends the inning, 
The Yankees are not capable of 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 coming all the way back. Um, they do manage to uh, tie the game. Actually, wait, really? Yeah, they did. Hold on. How is this not all right? Let's keep going because this is interesting. So, so Bob Friend replace Bob Friend replaces Gino Kamali as pinch hitter batting ninth. What are the names? Um, so Bob Friend is pitching for the Yankees. Or sorry, for for the Pirates. Uh, Bobby Richardson is, is is up to bat on an 0-1 pitch. He singles to center field. That's an out. Uh, then Dale Long comes up, pinch hitting for Joe DeMaestri. Um, and on a 1-1 pitch, he hits a single. So And Richardson goes to second. Wait. Oh, so I guess there was no outs. My bad, folks. Yeah, no outs. Okay. So we got first and second, no outs. Then Roger Maris comes up. Uh, against Harvey Haddix. Harvey Haddix replaced Bob Friend as pitcher. Um, Roger Maris foul pop flies out to the catcher behind home plate for the first out of the inning, so still first and second, one out. Mickey Mantle comes up against Harvey Haddix, hits a single to right field, line drive. Richardson scores. Long goes to third. So now we got first and third, one in, one out. The game is now 8-9 to nine in favor of the Pirates. Then Yogi Berra comes in. He grounds out to first base unassisted, but because Richardson was close at sorry, sorry, but because McDougal was close at third because he was pinch running for Dale Long, he manages to score. Mantle somehow stays at first, which seems like an interesting set of defense slash offense. I don't know how that works. How do you stay at first on an unassisted ground ball to first with a with the runner? Going to first. Uh force out? But how? So did he did he get a force out with Mantle standing on first base? Uh that's the only way that works, right? I don't know. I don't know baseball well enough to to, to come up with um so that means so the number one most impactful championship win probability out of play of all time and the sixth most um impactful championship win probability out of play of all time happened in the same game imagine going and getting like a beer while those plays happened or like taking a piss and you miss two of the top six most impactful plays in all of baseball history i literally cannot to be Um, fair though if you go and get a beer during game seven of the world series Hmm. Middle of, middle of the play, you know, end of the game. Yeah, okay, you deserve it. <laughs> you hear that, folks? If you got a shit, Corwin thinks that's your fault. Shit your pants. Or you better hold shit it. your britches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you drink your beer, you're done. When you got to pee, you know, middle or the bottom of the ninth inning, use the cup. If you shit, hopefully you got an opaque cup. Jesus Christ, buddy. Um, you know oh. when you say that? That's that's when we go over that line. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, all right, so the second one it takes place in like a... The second most impactful play takes place in, in yesteryear, literally over 100 years ago. The 1912 World Series Game 8. <laughs> so... 
for the for the uninitiated, the World Series had kind of an influx number of games for a while there. Um, so, for instance, this game eight was the last game of this World Series. Uh, some World Series had nine. Um, it was it was it, it was a made up number. Yeah, it was a made up number for a little while there. Kind of like how you know early formation of the rules. It was the 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 tectonic plates that formed baseball hadn't yet finished forming their 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 various con- uh, uh, continents and regions. You know, we were we we had left Pangaea, but we hadn't found our our current home. Uh, and so Boston ends up winning this game. The Boston Red Sox over the New York Giants. Uh, so they won. So they won game one. Nobody won game two. It finished in the tie, <laughs> a six-six tie. I I know. After eleven innings, they were like, "Eh." What year is this? Nineteen twelve. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Game three, the Giants won. Game four, Boston won. Game five, Boston won. Game six, the Giants won. Game seven, the Giants won. And because we're at game seven, uh, but we'd had a tie earlier in the in in the series it's all tied up 3-3 three, three and 1 so we we needed a game 8 we demanded a game 8 we got a game 8 um <laughs> and the most impactful play was between two titans of early baseball it was Trist speaker against Christy Mathewson um in which Chris Trist speaker jesus these fucking names uh Tris Speaker ended up getting the better of him. So this was in the bottom of the tenth. So let's go there. Let's go. Let's take a trip in the way way back machine to see what happened. So we're in the bottom of the tenth. Clyde Angle is pinch hitting for Smokey Joe Wood. <laughs> pinch hitting and bat- pitching and batting ninth. Uh, the game is is currently. Um, so the Red Sox are currently down in the game, uh, two to one, or I guess one to two, I should say. So they're coming up at the bottom of the tenth with one last chance to uh, take the game, or to at least save their souls a little bit. So Clyde Engel comes up pinch hitting against Christy Matheson, and he reaches on an on an E eight fly ball to center field, and he goes all the way to second on it. So we got a man on second, no outs, and he did that. Uh, there were no pitches recorded? Oh, I guess this is probably just too early for that. All right. Uh, then Harry Hooper comes up. He hits a fly ball. I know. He hits a fly ball. You're going to love these names. He hits a fly ball to center field for an out, but I guess Clyde Angle doesn't have enough room on it to tag up and go to third, so it's still man on second. One out. Then Steve Yerkes comes up. <laughs> he walks. Uh, so we got men on first and second, still one out. Then here comes Tris Speaker. He comes up, he's a single line drive. Angle scores on an unearned run due to the error. Yerkes goes to second, sorry, goes to third. Uh, Speaker goes all the way to second and uh, had after he had advanced on the throw home to try to get Angle out. Or, yeah, I got the name right. Um, uh, and But Angle ends up scoring. So the game is now tied two to two. We got men on second and third. And then they intentionally walk Duffy Lewis. Um, I now need to know who Duffy Lewis is for this to make sense. Is Duffy Lewis really good at baseball? All right, Corwin, Duffy Lewis, Hall of Famer now. Yes. Corwin says yes. He played for 11 years. 
not in the Hall of Fame, but three-time World Series winner. Guess I'll go fuck myself. I think that's the only justifiable cause. Um, the nine, in 1912, Dusty Duffy Lewis had an OPS plus of 112. Mm. Is that enough to warrant an intentional walk to load the bases in Game 8 of the World Series? Mm, no. Or were they trying to get to Larry Larry Gardner? I really thought you were about to say like Larry Larryson or something <laughs> stupidly ridiculous. Would we put it beyond baseball to have that name? Not at all. So Larry Gardner literally double the career war of Duffy Lewis, 48.2 for Larry Gardner to 21.1 for Duffy Lewis, four-time World Series winner. In 1912, Larry Gardner's OPS plus was 134. To Duffy Lewis's 112. Why would they walk Duffy Lewis to get to Larry Gardner? Righty lefty thing? That's what I'm looking at right now. Uh, so Duffy Lewis was a righty. Larry Gardner was a lefty. Hmm. Um, yeah, and Christy Matheson, I just checked, was a righty. So wouldn't you want the. Righty, righty. So, Christy Matheson or the Giants, whomever made this choice, um, because it does say here intentional walk, and baseball is very fastidious about its record keeping. Um, they chose to face the tougher batter, both in terms of how well he was performing that season and in terms of the dexterity matchup. And, I mean, they, they lost the game. Like, Larry Gardner goes on to hit a fly ball, a sack fly. Um, to right field, which scores Steve Yerkes, ends up winning Boston the game and the series three to two. Um, but why? And it was, and you can't even pinpoint that season because again, the one twelve OPS for Duffy Lewis and the one thirty four OPS for OPS plus for for um, sorry, the one thirty four OPS plus was for. No, Larry Gardner. I had it right the first time. 134 for Larry Gardner, 112 for Duffy Lewis. That is just... Maybe it's something stupid like batting average? No, even batting average. Larry Gardner had 30 points better batting average than Duffy Lewis. Why would they do this, Corwin? They didn't have analytics back then, so they didn't know. But, I mean, we're getting to the point where it's not even about having analytics, but it's about having eyes. Maybe they were all blind. I I need answers from this 108-year-old baseball game. I need redemption. Uh, just call up the uh, managers. See what happened. Oh god, I don't want to I don't want to have to have a séance today. Uh so anyway, that Tris Speaker single that ended up leading to the eventuality of the win for Boston was the high, second highest. Second highest. I am so enjoying this. I'm not going to enjoy the third one. It is no fun for me. Um it brings back painful memories. It is Game 7 of the 2001 World Series. And if you know the play already, I'm not going through it. So we're going to skip that. <laughs> we're going to go to Game... We're going to the fourth most impactful play. This was very recent, Corwin. Mm-hmm. This, is the, this is the most recent in the top five. The fourth most impactful play in World Series history. Um... What is this play? Carlos Correa home run. 
Nope. I don't know. The the Rajai Davis home run against the Raldis Chapman. Game seven (laughs) of the Indians-Cubs World Series in 2016. Damn. Made lost. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, made only worse (laughs) by the fact that they did not win the World Series. Um, uh, So, so let's let, let, let's get into it a little bit. So it's the bottom of the eighth. Indians are batting, and they are behind three to six. It is not looking good. Um, John Lester is still in for the Cubs. He'd been dealing. All right, and so let's look how, how let's look at how it's going. Fuck so for John Lester, I know. So for I don't, know if I've, I don't know if I've thought about this name since this game. He well, he's had some up and down years since then. Um, he's on the free agency market, but he is old now, and I don't know if he's going anywhere. But... Oh, I'm thinking of the other Cubs pitcher from that. Okay, never mind. John Lester is still playing. Yeah. Uh, what was the name of the guy that retired that I'm thinking of? Um, pitcher who retired? Yeah. Fuck. Um, Cubs rotation in, let's say, 2015, just to be safe. Um Shit, this is gonna eat away at me. Yeah, it's okay. Take your time. Uh, and he's not on this team. Shit. John Lester. Um, this is probably gonna take a while, so I'll let you keep talking while I look for him. <laughs> All right. So Francisco Lindor is the first guy up. He comes up on a two-zero pitch. He grounds out. Uh, to into a um, uh, 6-3 put out. Mike Napoli comes up against John Lester. He On the fifth pitch of the at-bat, on a 2-2 count, he strikes out. And then, so two outs, nobody on. Cubs cruising. Jose Ramirez comes up on a, on a 1-1 count. He hits a single to shortstop on a ground ball. So at that point, Joe Madden says, I've seen enough. I have a great closer. I'm going to be very uh, aggressive with using him. Araldis Chapman comes in, replacing John Lester. Brandon Geyer comes up, and on a full count, seventh pitch of the at-bat in a full count, he doubles to center field on a line drive. Jose, Ram- yeah, Jose Ramirez scores. The game is now 4-6. to six. You've got a man. On second, two outs, bottom of the eighth, Rajai Davis comes up, gets himself into a 2-2 count, also seventh pitch, seven pitches into the at-bat, and nails an Araldis Chapman pitch for a home run, scoring himself and Brandon Geyer, tying the game at 6-6 in the bottom of the eighth. Araldis Chapman stays in the game, uh, gives up a single to Coco Crisp, who I forgot was played in this game. How did I not remember that Coco Crisp was still playing baseball and in the World Series? Wait, what? Dude, Coco Crisp, man. I cannot see the word Coco without thinking Coco Crisp. This was his last year. Wow, okay. Damn, I totally forgot he was still in baseball at this point. That's crazy. All right, anyway, total, not, not getting into that rabbit hole for a moment. 
Um, then Jan Gomes comes up. Araldus Chapman strikes him out swinging to end the inning. So in totality, Araldus Chapman's performance in, in, in this game of the World Series was uh, one out, one, 0.1 innings pitched, one strikeout, <laughs> and then uh, three runs allowed. Uh, actually, I guess the uh, Ramirez run gets charged to John Lester. So, so two earned runs. That is not a good outing. Um, Cubs come up in the bottom of the sorry, in the top of the ninth. Uh, they don't score anybody. The Indians come up in the bottom of the ninth. They don't score anybody. Eventually, in the top of the tenth, the Cubs come up. Uh, Anthony Rizzo scores on a Ben Zobris double off of Brandon Shaw, uh, and then. Um, uh, then Anthony, no, then Ben Zobrist, sorry, Ben Zobrist scores. Wait, what? Oh, sorry, I got it wrong. Ah, Jesus Christ, Josh. Um, Albert Almora scores on the um, Ben Zobrist double. Uh, and then Anthony Rizzo scores on the Miguel Montero single, putting um, putting the Cubs on top 8-6. to six. The Indians do manage to get one more run in the bottom of the 10th, again off of the back of Rajai Davis, who singles to um, center field, scoring Brandon Geyer again, but it's not enough as Michael Martinez ultimately ends up grounding out uh, 5-3. Also, Trevor Bauer um, apparently pitched in this game for the Indians too, and I do not remember that at all either. No way. Jesus, I didn't. He must like, have been like a rookie. At the, well, no, I don't think he would have be a rookie. He had to no, have been a couple he, years in. Yeah, he because he pitched earlier in the series. There's like the 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 bloody finger game after the um uh drone accident. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's crazy fun. thinking like how this was like three years ago, which feels like a decade ago. Well, four years ago. Yeah. Um, but even then, like it feels like oh yeah trevor bauer would be a rookie even though he'd be like 26 or 25 and it's like oh god this year's gonna fuck with our way of looking at time for many many years but i'm gonna i'm gonna fuck with you even further no Uh, what have i told you that uh, uh dimaggio had the 16th highest championship win probability added of all time um in a, in in a, in one of his World Series outings. What? What have I told you that DiMaggio had uh, Joe this, DiMaggio? A DiMaggio. Oh. His brother, <laughs> Dom DiMaggio, for the Boston Red Sox. Of course, Boston would sign his brother. <laughs> Dom Dom DiMaggio. <laughs> God, which just feels like the plot of like a really shitty baseball themed TV show or movie. Um, Dom DiMaggio had a double off of Harry Breachin, Bre- or sorry, Harry Brechin, um in Game Seven. Oh wait, this is interesting. So, fifteenth and sixteenth highest championship win probability added are in the also in the same game. Um, one from each team. Wow. Yeah, both in the eighth inning. Okay, hold on. So let's let's look at that eighth. Let's look at that eighth inning. Before um, we move on, 
I need to uh, admit what P- Petra I was thinking of instead of John Lester, who I will it? now admit this is a mistake that I made constantly when they were both still playing. You want to take any guess at all? John Lackey. Yep. Ah, yep, yep, yep. The second you said the mix-up, I, I knew it because I make those mix-ups too. Exactly. John oh. Lester and John Lackey are essentially the same person in my brain. Yeah, yeah, they really are. For no good reason. They are not the same person, but you're totally right. I, and when you think of John Lackey, what team do you think of? Uh, I know I should probably say, well, oh, no, I was going to say Red Sox, but now I can't tell if I'm thinking of John Lester or not anymore. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know. So John Lackey did play for the Red Sox. Let me confirm that. He did for three seasons. Well, three and a half seasons. I think of him as a Cub, which where, which is where he played his final two seasons, 2016 and 2017. So he was in that series. But he played in Anaheim for eight years. Wait, what? Yeah. I was going to say, I, 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 I have the other ones in my head. I do not have Anaheim in my head. He played for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim from 2002 until 2009, played in Boston from 2010 into 2014, played in St. Louis from the middle of 2014 into 2014 into 2015, and then Chicago Cubs from 2016 to 2017. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I did not recall him in Anaheim at all. Nope. All right, so a real quick uh, here on this eighth inning, and then then we'll either move on or end the show. (laughs) I'm not sure which one's going to happen. Uh, all right. Oh God, I love these names so much. I just want to live in these names. So it's the top of the eighth inning. Red Sox are batting. They are currently down one to three. Um, Cardinals pitcher Murray Dixon is in, and Rip Russell is pinch hitting for Hal Wagner. <laughs> I'm just gonna do one of these one time. And just make up every name and just Dude. see. If- Dude, wait, wait till you get to some of the other names I have because you will refuse to believe some of these. Um, so Rip Russell comes up <laughs> and he hits a single to center field. All right, so we got a man on, no outs. Then George Metkovich pinch hits for Joe Dobson. And George Metkovich hits a double, sending Russell to third base um, and putting himself on second. So we got second and third, still no outs. Then Harry Brachin replaces Murray Dixon as the pitcher, and Wally Moses comes up to bat. <laughs> this is nonsense. Wally Moses strikes out looking. The burning bush was not speaking to him that day, my friends. <laughs> um, then, <laughs> then, so we got one out, man on second and third. Johnny Pesky comes up, the, the namesake of the Pesky pole in Fenway Park. And he lines out to right field. So now it's two outs, second and third. Dom DiMaggio comes up. He hits a double, uh, scoring uh, Rip Russell and George Metkovich. Then... Del Rice Ed Williams comes up because he was playing in this game, apparently. Sure. Uh, and he 
pops out to second, ending the inning. So Never that really, yeah. that Dom DiMaggio home or uh, not, not home run double is the 16th most valuable play for championship uh, win probability added. The 15th, the one just above that, comes here in the bottom of the eighth inning. So now we're currently not at a three. Cardinals are now batting, facing Red Sox pitcher Bob Klinger. Klinger? I'm going to go with Klinger. Klinger seems too wrong. Klinger. Um, Bob Klinger had replaced George Metkovich as the uh, as the man batting ninth and pitching. Roy Partee replaces Rip Russell playing sec- uh, uh, catcher. And Leon Culberson moves from pinch runner to center field. So the first man up hitting for St. Louis might be my favorite name of the day, day so far. Enos Slaughter. He singles to right field, center field, off of Bob Klinger. Whitey Karowski comes up, and he bunts a pop fly back to the pitcher, which uh, it I doesn't seem as though it moves Enos Slaughter. So we still got a man on first, no uh, one out. Del Rice comes up hitting a fly ball to left field. That's two outs. So we got one on, two out. Harry Walker comes up. This is our 15th most valuable play as he doubles off of Bob Klinger to the center field on a line drive, scoring Eno Slaughter, taking the 4-3 lead in the bottom of the eighth in, uh, in game seven. Marty Marion comes up, gets intentionally walked. Earl Johnson replaces Bob Klinger as pitcher. Harry Brachin comes up, grounds out uh, from a pitch from Earl Johnson, ending the inning. Boston does nothing in the bottom of the ninth, sorry, top of the ninth to save the game. They ultimately lose the game four to three and lose the World Series to the St. Louis Cardinals in seven games. And there you go. That's all you need to know. That's all there is to it, folks. Um. Yeah. So John Lackey. John Lackey. Was there anything no, more to that, or were you just talking about John No, Lackey? I was just saying John Lackey. Oh, got, gotcha. Um, so there is one game here from 1951 that doesn't look like it's classified as a playoff game, but I don't know what it is then. So... Excuse me for one moment while I try to figure out what the fuck happened in 1951. Um, uh, the Giants won the World Series? Is that right? I don't... Uh, Korean War or something like that? I don't know. Uh, all right, I'm just going to Google 1951 MLB playoffs. Oh, so there was a tiebreaker series in 51. What? what? Oh my god. Okay. So so according to Wikipedia, um the 1951 National League tiebreaker series was a best of 3 playoff series at the conclusion of MLB's 1951 regular season to decide the winner of the National League pennant. The games were played on October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 1951 between the Giants and the Dodgers. That There we go. It was necessary after both teams finished the season with identical win-loss records of 96-58. Um, all right, okay. That makes so much sense because I'm looking at this game that was not classified as being... It's in the, the championship win probability added, but it's not like 
the other ones say, you know, like game World Series game, whatever, NLCS game, whatever. And this didn't have that. So let's talk about it real quick because that is so interesting. And it's a very famous home run that we're going to be talking about here. So um, let's talk about the 1951 tiebreaker of tiebreaker games, the game three of the tiebreaker series, Giants and Dodgers. So we, I'm going to, let's take our way, way back machine and let's head to the bottom of the ninth. Every kid's backyard dream. All right. So, in the top of the ninth, the Dodgers are currently winning 4-1. to one. The Dodgers are up against the Giants pitcher Larry Jansen, who has replaced Hank Thompson, um, and Ray Noble replaced Bill Rigney as the catcher. Don Newcomb, the pitcher, is up to bat first against Larry Jansen. He grounds out in a 4-3 putout. Then, Carl Ferrio comes up. He grounds out in a 6-3 putout. Then, Pee Wee Reese comes up against Larry Jansen. Fly ball center field, a 1-2-3 inning. In the entirety of it, Larry Jansen threw a combined nine pitches. It's a good outing. So, the so here come the Giants, bottom of the ninth, down four to one or one to four, whatever. Um, and the first pitcher, first batter up is Al Dark. What a great name, Al. These Dark. are still all made up, right? You're doing this uh, as a bit, all fake names, nothing's real. Yeah, I'm protecting their identities. Um, <laughs> so Al Dark comes up against Don Newcomb. And he hits a single to first base, uh, and and we got a man on. Don Muller comes up next. He singles to right field on the first pitch of the at bat. Um, that puts um, Dark at third base. So now we got runners at first and third. Nobody out. Mate Irvin comes up. He hits a he hits a foul pop fly to first base for the first out of the inning. Still first and third. Now just the one out. Then Whitey Lockman comes up. I love. I don't get why Whitey was such a popular nickname back then. Anyway, um, he hits a double to to left field on a line drive, scoring dark. Uh, Muller goes to third. Now it is two to four with runners on uh, second and third for the Giants. Ralph Bronca replaces Don Newcomb as the pitcher, and uh, Clint Hartung is pinch running for Don Muller. Okay, so we've got. Uh, Clint Hartung at third, Whitey Lockman at second, and then Bobby Thompson comes up to bat against Ralph Bronca. Bottom of the ninth, one out, down two to four, tying run on second. Bobby Thompson on the second pitch of the at-bat knocks a home run, line drive deep to left, Hartung scores, Lockman scores, Thompson scores, Walks off the game, scoring his the fourth Giants run of the inning, and sends the Giants to the World Series. This home run then becomes known as the shot heard round the world. Mm. And uh, it is also to cap off this little segment that we did today. Um, we got to nothing else, but I'm okay with that. I'm um, mostly surprised that that wasn't higher. Sorry to cut you off. 
Well, again, it's tough. It, so it's the eighth most valuable play for win championship win probability added. Um, I guess yeah. uh, in the grand scheme of things, eight out of essentially 500,000 is quite a lot. Yeah. And if, and if we limit this strictly to walk-offs, it is the third highest walk-off. Um, mm. It only falls behind... Um, Oh, the Bill Mazeroski home run. That's the second most valuable walk-off, the one that we talked about earlier. And then the most valuable walk-off actually comes from the Na- National League Championship Series in 1992 when uh, Atlanta batter Francisco Cabrera walked off um, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Wow. Um, uh, hitting a home run, or sorry, hitting a single off of Stan Belinda uh, to win the um, NLCS in seven games, sending the Braves to the World Series. Um, wow, 92 feels still feels too recent for the Pirates to be competitive. Sorry, Corwin. No, I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, we didn't get to anything else, but I still had fun with this. Um, yeah, me too. Absolutely. I'm just going to throw some more fun names at you here. We got Jim Northrup, uh, Tony Womack, Virgil Barnes, Hugh McQuick, McQuillan, Hugh McQuillan. Oh man, Cookie Lavaghetto. Wow, Cookie Lavaghetto. Do you have a the name of a player that stuck with you as being the craziest of all the crazies? Um. I remember Coco Crisp distinctly when I was a kid because I was like, even as a child, I was like, this motherfucker is named after cereal. Um, and he's actually like a notable player. Yeah, he was like a he was a good era. player. He wasn't like he wasn't ever you know an MVP consideration guy, but he was always a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, huh? Actually, that's that's a great question. I don't know. You know, Pee Wee that we had uh, not too long Reese ago. Pee Wee Reese is a is a is a nickname. What'd you say? What was the one that we had not too long ago where we were like, this is just insanity? Ooh, um, I know I know. a little while ago we had a conversation where I think Dizzy Dean and Dizzy Vance played each other in a game. And we were so <laughs> confused because there was two Dizzies. Dizzy, straight Dizzy with it. Um, yeah. There was one that played for the Cubs. He won like a gold glove. Um, I don't know. I'm looking at some more fun ones. We got we got Roger Peckinpah here, Lou Burdett, um, Kiki Cooler, Kiki Cutie, Carson Bigby. Um, yeah, Charlie LeBron. Interesting. Charlie LeBron. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I guess we'll call it a day on that. Corey, you got anything else, or uh, shall we shall we get on out of here? Uh, I'm good to go. All right. Well, if you uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And again, uh, appreciate all the listens. Um, appreciate all the time you folks have been putting into to checking out the show and you know, um, supporting us in that small way that that selfish satisfaction that we we get from listening to the things we like to listen to. It, it means a lot. 200 episodes is super cool. 201 is mildly less cool but still pretty cool um and we we really appreciate it so uh so thank you 
And here's to 200 more. <laughs> 900 more. Four more years. Um, six seasons in a movie. Six, se- six seasons and the Juicing the Numbers movie. Um, <laughs> Is that just going to be like a six-hour live stream event? Why do you think I want to do that for six hours? I'll give you two. I won't give you six. Uh, anyway, so that's the show. And uh, until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.